0: good morning welcome back to reddit readings the best podcast on the internet and the best of reddit drunk straight into your earphones. oh ladies and gentlemen oh we are here today and we're doing my favorite my favorite in the whole world that juicy juicy mm, r slash pro revenge so sit tight grab your popcorn and your tea and let's jump right into it but just quickly before we do a quick word from our sponsor for this episode Do you find yourself looking at all the bourbon on the store shelves and don't know where to start? or the differences? Do you enjoy bourbon? Want to know more about the science, history, and the stories behind the label? Did you know that bourbon is a distinctive product of the United States? It can't be produced anywhere else in the world. And no, not all bourbon has to be made in Kentucky. I learned this listening to Bourbon Pursuit. If you think you like bourbon, get ready to love bourbon bourbon pursuit is the official podcast of bourbon the best source for all bourbon news reviews and interviews of people making the bourbon whiskey industry happen three new episodes every week learn the next bourbon trends great bottles the personalities behind your favorite brands and get the juicy scoop on all things whiskey Past guests have included CEOs, master distillers, and brand ambassadors from every major distillery. Authors, bloggers, industry influencers, retailers, celebrities, and unique consumers who hunt down rare bourbons. Take your knowledge from being a bourbon novice to a bourbon baron. Wherever the good stuff is poured, bourbon pursuit is just a play button away. Join your hosts, Kenny Coleman, Ryan Cecil, and Fred Minnick, on an epic bourbon adventure. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com Daily bonuses are waiting No purchase necessary, void
1: were prohibited by law 18 plus, terms and conditions apply See website for details
0: Posted by You slash Sun. Don't Play Don't want to let me tinker? Alrighty then, let's do business then My grandpa was a successful man in his mid-60s He decided he wanted to take a step back, so he started selling off his businesses. He sold his various businesses and spent the next few years traveling. As he approached 70, he got bored in addition to a few new grandchildren, so he needed a bigger house. He sold the home that he had bought after he got back from Vietnam and bought this massive house on this large piece of land. This property also came with a massive steel barn. Not sure if he had ever told anyone about his plans, but right after he got the property, he dumped a ton of money into tools and equipment and converted his barn into a mechanic's dream. Some of the things I remember having. He had a professional lift capable of lifting full-size trucks. He had one of those professional oil catchers you see at Quick Loops. He had a dedicated air compressor system that was designed to power all of his power tools. He had a tire machine to mount new tires. He had so much equipment. His tool corner was a massive corner of this massive barn. His plan? To fix cars, especially for people in need. He lived in a rural community. If you didn't have a car, that was a big problem. So he let everyone know at his local church that he was willing to work on their cars if they provided the parts. He only took a few jobs a week. He was doing this to enjoy himself and help those that needed it. He'd, of course, change oil, change transmission fluid, and all kinds of various repairs. My grandpa was a talented mechanic. However, he kept the amount of work limited. He was also selective. If you were in need, he'd want to fix your cars. If you had the means to pay, he'd decline and ask you to go elsewhere. One day, the owner of the local car dealership came by and told my grandpa he needed to stop fixing other people's cars because he wasn't properly licensed, didn't have the proper insurances, and was hurting his business. My grandpa explained it was just his hobby. He only does a few cars a week. The owner told him he needs to cut it out or he's going to sue my grandpa out of business. My grandpa said he laughed over this. What business was this guy going to sue him out of? The owner walked out. A little while later, my grandpa got served. He was being sued by the owner of the car dealership. My grandpa thought he'd take a trip down to the dealership and try to reason with the man. My grandpa hoped he could come to an understanding. My grandpa spoke to the owner and basically explained. He only works on people's cars who are down on their luck. The fact is, the people's cars he fixes probably couldn't afford to pay a professional dealership to fix their vehicle. He only does a few cars a week And he's not all that interested in getting into a fight over his hobby But he ain't gonna back down Well, they ended up in court By this point, my grandpa had hired a lawyer Who was able to get the city to approve a commercial garage on his property It helped that he lived on the outskirts of town and had six acres of property The court told my grandpa his auto repair shop is operating illegally If my grandpa wants to continue he's going to need to get a business license get the proper insurances and if he does that he'll be good to go now what do you think a man who has nothing but time and money in this situation is going to do he's going to get his business license and insurance of course which he did and that surprised no one but he went further he got a dedicated phone line ran into the shop Hired a full-time mechanic, put up a professional sign, set up a little waiting area with a water cooler. What shocked everyone even more, he ran local TV ads, saying he was a pay-what-you-can mechanic shop, reservations only. Put ads in the local paper saying the same thing. Yes, folks, that's right. My grandpa is not only a licensed legal auto repair business, he has a certified mechanic on his payroll and he's running ads. As for his prices? They were quite simple, you either bring the parts yourself and pay the mechanic whatever you wanted. Mechanic got a separate wage from my grandpa, so if you couldn't pay anything, that was fine. Had my grandpa source the parts, he'd charge you the parts and you'd pay the mechanic whatever you want. My grandpa started taking jobs. Oh, and boy, did that shop get busy. It was impossible to beat grandpa's price. Grandpa was essentially paying to fix your car for you. My grandpa would spend his day with a mechanic that he had hired working on cars. He loved it. The owner of the local car dealership was furious. He sued my grandpa again. They went to court and the judge basically said, my grandpa owned a licensed insured auto repair business. What he charges his customers for his services is completely up to him. Even if that means doing the work for free. About a year or so later, my grandpa gets a call from a lawyer who says he's representing a potential buyer of the local car dealership. However, the buyer wants to speak to my grandpa. My grandpa agreed. He sat down with a new potential buyer who expressed his concerns about buying the dealership. Service is a major profit center for a dealership, and he's considering buying the local dealership. However, he doesn't want to buy the dealership if my grandpa is going to keep operating the way he is because it's impossible for a for-profit business to compete against someone selling their services for free. My grandpa agrees that there's no way someone looking to make a profitable business could ever compete against him. So they came to an agreement. The owner buys the dealership and my grandpa would only work on a few cars a week, maybe five or six, Only work on people's cars who are down on their luck and probably too poor to be able to pay a professional dealership to fix their car anyway. Any parts he needs, he'll buy from the dealership. Any work he declined, he'd refer to the dealership. The new owner of the dealership agreed too. The dealership must agree to let Grandpa B stay out of his way, and the dealership must hire his mechanic. They shook hands. The local dealership was bought out, and for the next nine years, my grandpa would fix people's cars who were down on their luck. If he had to buy parts, he'd buy from the dealership. And as for that mechanic, my grandpa hired. He ended up becoming the service manager, and did quite well for himself. As for my grandpa, when he was 80, he had a heart attack in his shop. Luckily, one of his grandkids was there, and they got him to the hospital, and he made a full recovery. But the doctor told him his body couldn't handle working in that garage anymore. He ended up shutting down after that. For the next three years, he looked out his kitchen window, staring at his shop, remembering all the fun he had in his garage. He passed away at 83, surrounded by family and friends.
1: Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky. Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
0: N. Cheating student thought he had fooled me. Fell right into my trap. So, I'm a cancer researcher and a guest professor at a university's school of medicine, teaching my specialty, imaging. Besides the usual acquisition of medical images using MRI, CT, etc., imaging has a lot to do with image processing. Some days, I am just a glorified programmer slash IT guy. And as anyone who had ever programmed anything will tell you, coding is a very personal activity. With enough experience, you can tell who wrote what just by looking at the lines. I'm also in my late 20s, and I'm not native to this country, and it's my first year as guest professor. So some students look at me as this inexperienced, gullible foreign guy. As part of my module's grading, the students have to submit two reports that weigh 10% each of their final grade. These reports are about image processing, and they have to code a fair bit. As usual, there are students that make an effort. Some do minimal work, and then there's some cheat-slash-copy. As I was grading the report, I noticed a small group of students who found reports from previous years online and literally copy-pasted those reports changing only their name. It was a facepalm moment because those reports were not even good and had a lot of errors. You see, in order to establish a baseline for my grading, I browsed previous year's reports so I knew what to expect from students of this module. Naturally, I graded them all with a zero and kept working my way through grading the reports I had left. Meanwhile, the students casually asked me in the halls how were the reports. Of course, I can't comment on that until I release the grades. One time, this dude had copied from another report, 98% match on Plagiarism Checker, asks me when will I release the grades and come with this story that he works really hard on his report. That his exam hadn't gone so well, and he was hoping that the grade on his report are enough to pass. I mean, submitting another person's work as your own is very wrong. But it was an online submission and impersonal. Right now, he was just lying through his teeth to my face. I could feel my blood boiling. But I didn't lose my composure and decided to come up with a plan. I knew that my exam was the last exam of the semester and after that, the students usually go home or to family vacations while they wait for their grades to be posted online. So I graded the exams and input their grades into my Excel with their reports grades. Four students had zero due to cheating on their reports, and if I graded their reports with 50% of the max grade, they would barely fail the module. But they would fail nonetheless. So it was on. In order to be fair... I bumped everyone else's grades, a bunch of people with miserable reports ended up barely passing because of my grade bump. But even though their reports were bad, it was their own work, and not copied from anywhere. You see, students are entitled to make an appointment to review their grades after publishing and before the grades are locked for the year. Basically, they sit with me, we go through their exam and reports, and their goal is to convince me to give them some extra points in hopes that they pass the module. I knew the cheaters would come. After all, they think they fooled me once already and they still have half the report's points to bargain for. So I just waited for their emails. Lo and behold, they write to me the same day the grades go online saying how hard they've worked on their reports and that they don't understand how they only got 50% and that they wanted an appointment. I was ecstatic. Let's review your grades. Do you remember that my exam was the last one? Well, they were already on vacations. Some very far away. And begged me for an online appointment. Ooh, no can do. Ahem, university policy. Moreover, you have three days to show up for your appointment. Otherwise, the grades are locked. Also, ahem... University policy. So here they come, cutting their vacation short and catching planes, some spend hours in buses and trains to make it in on time. I know what many of you are thinking. They come, I show them the plagiarism checker results and reveal that I know it's not their work and send them on their way. Well, I considered it, but I had something better in mind. Those appointments usually take 10 minutes. I show them their work with my notes and what's right and wrong, and they try to find some inconsistencies in my grading and bargain for more points. Ooh, I ain't giving you the opportunity. (laughs) So, one by one, they sit with me individually, And I go through their exams and reports. Remember that they copied the reports and copied bad ones with a lot of errors. I ask questions. Lots of them. Why did you do this? What's your reasoning for this? They don't know. It's not their work. They mumble random stuff because they don't know what to answer. Point by point. Mistake by mistake. I explain why it was wrong, how it should be done, lecturing the same material they had already been lectured on during class. I make it long. I make it boring. I make it painful. I spend hours with each one of them throughout those three days. They always came with the same, I worked so hard on this, and a little smirk on their face because they thought that it should be really easy to fool me the gullible foreign again. As the hours go by, I'm walking through the errors one by one, and I could see their expressions change, little by little, their hopes of passing, being slowly crushed. And when they realize, I knew they cheated, and I wasn't going to give them any extra points. At this point... They tried to cut short their appointment and leave. I wouldn't let them. We need to finish the review of your grades. It's university policy. And I just keep going, extending their misery for one or two more hours. It was legal torture, plain and simple. It was glorious. At the end... Every single one of them left with a crushed soul, look in their eyes, and a fail in my class. They knew that I had caught them, that I baited them, and they fell for it. They ruined their vacation and their family's vacations, spent money to travel back and forth, wasted precious summertime, got bored to death. And have nothing to show for it. And next year... They will have to repeat the module... With me! I hope you enjoy your summer. See you next year.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> Posted by you slash Don of the Dead Wife stole from her job and me. I hunted her down and had her arrested. My first marriage was to a woman with bipolar syndrome, highly not recommended. When she was medicated, she was awesome, but she finally convinced herself she didn't have a problem and stopped taking her medication. I uh, dealt with a lot over the years with her fake pregnancies, affairs, and lots of lies. She could never keep a job for more than a month or two and would get a job, tell me how much she loved it for the first month, Uh, and then something would happen and they'd fire her and she would blame everybody but herself. While in between jobs, I would find some of my items going missing. Movies, collectibles, etc. I thought it was her, but I had no real proof. Finally, she opened her own business doing house cleaning. She was a neat freak who was very obsessive and good at cleaning. Despite her condition, she was very charming and likeable and soon had a large client base. I thought things were getting better. I was very proud of her. She was even bringing more money than I was. Then came the night that she didn't come home. I was frantic. I kept calling her phone. No answer. I finally got a hold of her sister who said, I want to start off saying it's not my fault. Turns out my wife showed up to her first clients to clean. There were police officers waiting for her. Apparently my wife was not only cleaning her clients' houses but cleaning out their jewellery boxes, purses and other valuables. I finally get a call from her that night from jail. She's crying, begging me for forgiveness. I try to be sympathetic and she tells me they're going to let her out the next day on her own recognizance. The next morning, around 7am, I'm waking up to a knock at the door. I answered and find two uniformed police officers and a detective standing outside. I apologize for being in my underwear and let them in. They search our apartment high and low and ask me a bunch of questions. I'm honest with them. My wife finally gets home later that night, once again apologizing profusely. At this point, I decided in my heart that I am done. I don't let her know yet, knowing her violent outbursts, but decided to plan with my family to move myself out of the apartment when she's gone one day. The first day of her trial arrives. She wanted me to come along for moral support, but I had gotten the flu that morning. I was vomiting into the sink, meanwhile she's screaming at me that I'm not being supportive of her, making my decision to leave much easier. My plan was to wait till she was sentenced and then move out while she was gone, avoiding any fights. But she kept getting extensions on her trial, so one day, while she was at work at her new job, I called my father and brother over and we quickly packed up my stuff. As fate would have it, she forgot something at home and showed up when we were half done loading my stuff into the trailer. She started screaming and crying, wondering why I was leaving her, then jumped in her car and sped off. I moved back in with my parents and started digging. Turns out, she wasn't only stealing from her clients, she was stealing from me and my parents when she could come over to visit. My mother told me that she had been missing some gold jewelry from her childhood, but didn't want to point any fingers. I myself, upon going through my items, unpacking, discovered my entire collection of 12 inch Star Wars figures that I had collected for years was nowhere to be found. I found out later she'd put them on Craigslist for a fraction of what they were worth. I also found out that she opened up an eBay account in my name, took pictures of my nephew's Nintendo Wii, during this time Wii was hot, and sold it to multiple people, then never sent it out. She pulled the cash before eBay could do anything. You, the revenge. Here comes the fun part. Despite her being a thief, I, on the other hand, had worked retail security for going on 21 years. It's my business to catch thieves and hunt down scammers, so she picked the last person she should have fucked with. Turns out my ex-wife stopped showing up for her court dates and moves out of our apartment. She vanished. The courts couldn't find her, so I started digging found out she moved in with the ex-girlfriend of a friend of mine. So I opened a fake Facebook account under a random name. I friended her new roommate. She openly began talking about my ex as her roommate, confirming that she lived there, and I told her that I had a bunch of Twilight promo merchandise, which they loved. I wanted to send them. She happily gave out her address. I called the county sheriff's department and informed them that I knew where a fugitive with warrants was hiding out they showed up and arrested her on Valentine's Day. She ended up spending the next several months in jail while going through her trial. She was convicted of five felony counts of theft and ended up being sentenced to eight months in prison. I don't want to speak bad of her, but I feel really bad for the people she victimized. It turns out some of the jewelry she stole from some of her clients belonged to parents or grandparents long gone. Mementos these people should have had of loved ones that she stole to make a quick buck. Oh, yeah. I want my Star Wars toys back, you bitch. Oh, my God. Top comment. (laughs) They're not toys. They're action figures. Okay, and on that note, I think it's time to finish the show. Thank you very much, everyone, for listening. I really hope to see you next week. So if you're not following, make sure you follow. We're dropping at least two episodes a week. Allegedly, don't hold me to that, but we've been doing pretty good at it. So it's worth following for regular episodes. Uh, Let me know what you think of the stories in the comments. And if you like podcasts, I bet you have audiobooks. So go and check out my audiobook website, audiobookkraken.com. And uh, there's a free book over there. Go grab that. Thank you very much, guys. See you next week.